in the book of Ephesians. We're back in our study of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll begin reading verse 1 this morning. I'll be the beginning of our text, Ephesians chapter 4, begin to read in verse 1. This morning we'll speak to you on this subject, maximizing your potential. Maximizing your potential. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin to read in verse number 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able and honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all, and through all and in you all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints and the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that you should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray together again. Father, we ask this morning that your precious Holy Spirit would speak to us and challenge us today. Father, I do pray if there is one here today who's never chosen to turn from their sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, we pray even now you'll overwhelm them with their lostness and their need for Jesus Christ. God, we pray at the conclusion of this service, during time of invitation, they'll choose to do that today, what the church at Ephesus did 2,000 years ago, what so many of us in here today, by your grace, have done. We've chosen to repent and call on Jesus to be Lord of our lives. We pray they'll do that today. God, I pray you'll speak to your church today. Even now, God, you'll, you will allow, we'll allow you uh, to shake away any apathy, any indifference that's taken hold of our lives. Just, you know, usual as business, business as usual attitude. God, you'll shake that away today. We'll reopen our eyes. God, we'll allow you to take inventory of our lives and challenge us where we're lacking today. Are we really living up to the opportunity that the spiritual freedom Christ has given us affords us? Is our life having maximum spiritual kingdom 
impact. And God, if the answer is no, we pray that we'll turn away from those things that are hindering that today. And fresh and anew, we'll reconsecrate our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Challenge us. Speak to us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. <clears throat> in, on July 4th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress uh, adopted uh, the Declaration of Independence. And it was our note to Britain uh, that we'll take no more. We're not going to stand for it anymore. We're, we, in, into all nations after who would seek to rob us of our freedom, we're declaring our independence. And through the sweat and the tears and sadly the blood of many soldiers, uh, God worked through volunteers and those who made themselves available to provide for us as Americans freedom. We have political freedom. And I know the landscape of our country and the fabric of our country looks much different than it did even 10 years ago. But friend, we still have freedom today that no other country has. And for that, we should be very grateful and we should be thankful. But I want to remind you, friend, that political freedom can never free one from the bondage of sin. While there are millions across our country who rest under a blanket of political freedom, still yet they're trapped today and they're, he and they're held captive by sin's penalty. John chapter 8 and verse number 36, Jesus said, Whom the Son has made free, he is free indeed. And it's only through Christ, his sacrifice, its dependence upon Christ that yields independence from sin's penalty, from sin's possession over one's life. And thank God, and we pray it won't be long, uh, from sin's presence. Well, we'll be able to shell out of this world and we're going to be with Christ for all eternity. And we'll never have to deal with sin again. The disciples in Ephesus, they had experienced that kind of freedom. Remember, Paul had been on ministry. He had been on mission there in Ephesus. He preached the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And many people there in Ephesus had responded to the gospel and trusted Christ. And as a result of that, the church had been planted there. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God led the apostle Paul to write them a letter. And the first three chapters of the book of Ephesus are strong doctrine. It, it, again, it was a reminder of that salvation is by grace through faith alone. There's no work that one can do. Judaism stood outside the church as a threat to the pureness of the gospel. And Paul was writing about that. He reminds them again in verse number one that he's a prisoner, Ephesians chapter four, because of his stand uh, of the gospel, that it's by grace through faith alone. But friend, listen, it's not enough just to know doctrine. Now listen to me this morning. You can know everything that's in the Bible, but it won't do you a bit of good unless you put it into practice. Hell's going to be full of people who have the gospel right here. But look at me this morning. They were 18 inches away from being saved. They knew what it took to be saved right here, but they never received Jesus here. And so the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians uh, are about putting doctrine into practice. Uh, and so Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, I've come that they might have life and that they may have life more abundantly. Not that they will, he's going to force it upon you, but that it's, it's, it's an opportunity that you may have life, that you may have opportunity. Christ died on the cross that you can have that freedom. But the Bible says in Romans 6.23, it's a gift that must be received. And after salvation, friend, your life can have maximum impact 
upon the kingdom of God. But it's not a will, it's a may. You have to choose to respond. You have to do your part. God's going to do His. He'll work through you. So it's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Whether you'll allow Christ to work through your life. And so through Christ and the spiritual freedom that He provides, the church at Ephesus, and we need to be reminded that we have the potential to live a life with eternal kingdom impact. And so this morning we're talking about maximizing your spiritual potential. And I'm telling you, in Jesus Christ, don't you look up here at me this morning. Look at me, because it's so easy. Listen, now, it hasn't been too many years I've sitting where you sit. And so I know how easy it is to drift into la-la land, and the devil wants to come here with the shit. You know, did you take the trash out? What's for lunch? Is the milk out of date? All these things come into your mind. Well, the devil wants you to do, friend, he wants you to miss what God wants to say to you. Now listen to me. I don't have anything to say to you. I mean, there's, there's nothing I can do to help you spiritually. But I can share God's word faithfully. And as you respond to the word, it'll make a difference in your life. And so I really want you to listen to me. You know, is my life, am I living up to the full potential that I have in Jesus Christ? I don't care how dysfunctional your background is. You might have had the worst mom and dad in the world. And they just beat you down. They browbeat you. You, you might have had some traumatic experience that has left you wanting in some way. And you just think there's no hope for you whatsoever. Friend, I'm telling you, Jesus died for you. You're somebody. When he was on the cross, he was thinking about you. And so he died that you could be set free from sin's penalty, from sin's possession over your life. You don't, you don't have to be a prisoner to addiction to anything that the devil might use to hold you captive spiritually, you, you can be set free from that. But the question is whether you'll make yourself available for Christ to work through you. Paul said to the church at, at Philippi, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let's really look this morning how Paul is going to challenge this church as he moves from doctrine to application, putting the truth to work. Uh, again, I saw Brother Robert's face right there. Brother Robert's a, a doctor, and, and countless times throughout the week, I'm sure he writes prescriptions to people. He diagnoses what their problem is. He wants to treat their symptoms. Friend, listen, God's offering you a prescription today to live a life of impact. But if you won't take it by faith and let the Word of God work in you richly, there won't be any benefit to this this morning. So let's really let the Holy Spirit challenge this morning. And we say, am I living up to the potential that I have in Christ? Notice three things that Paul shares with them in challenge to maximize their spiritual potential. Number one, there was a prompting plea. A prompting plea. I, therefore, verse one, the prisoner of the Lord. Again, Paul was reminding them, listen, he says, I'm in prison because of the gospel. He wasn't bragging. He was just trying to say, listen, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done. Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ, and wherever it took him, that's where he was willing to go. And so many people, I believe, miss out on God's best because they limit what God can do with their life. I'll go here, I'll do this, but I won't do these things. If Jesus isn't fully Lord over every, every area of your life, friend, he's not Lord. And so Paul reminds them, I'm, I'm living that kind of sacrifice life. Look at verse 1 again. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He says, I beseech you 
to walk worthy. Beseech isn't a word that we use a great deal, but it means to exhort, to encourage, to plead. Paul says, I'm pleading with you from prison. He says, I am so encouraging you. Listen to the continued statement. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He says, well, I mean, well, how are they walking? Were they stumbling? Were they skipping? He's not talking about a, a physical walk. It is in part, but, but when he's talking about to walk worthy, a walk is the sum total of your lived out faith every day. It's not just what you say and what you amen, but it's, it's the doctrine according to you in action. You know, there's four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you know, there's really a, there's a fifth Gospel that the world reads every day. Your family reads it. Your lost friend reads this Gospel every day. Your co-workers read this Gospel every single day. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's the Gospel according to you. It's the life that you live out. That's, that's what you say. Well, now, I believe all these things. Friend, listen, what you believe doesn't matter as much as what you do. And so he says, I, I'm encouraging you as a prisoner of the Lord. I beseech you. He says, I'm pleading with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He says, let your life, let the sum total of your lived out life be worthy of the calling with, with which you were called. And again, when he speak when he says you, He's talking about these born-again believers. Now, I want you to look up here at me this morning. Listen to me. If you've not chosen to turn from sin and trust Christ, then you can't do any of these things. You can't begin to live a life that's pleasing to God and a life that has spiritual impact until you're spiritually born again. It's not about joining the church. It's not about joining the Sunday school class. It's not about starting a new Bible study. It's not about buying a new Bible. It's not about putting religious stickers on the back of your car, getting... Christian t-shirts or following some religious author online. It's about you having a saving relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, John chapter 3, verse 7, you must be born again. And so that must be a decision that you make. And every believer in Ephesus, they had done that. And so you can't begin to experience spiritual freedom and God's working in your life until you've been born again. It's a foundational it is the foundational doctrine of, of the Christian faith. He says you're, you're to walk worthy, to, to live a life that is deserving of, of the call of Christ to all men. Well, what is that call? Well, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says this. He says, come unto me. It's his call. He says, come unto me. All you who are la labor and are heavy laden, he says, and I'll give you rest. All, all you who are laboring to be right, to try to be holy through self-righteousness. You're working, you're burdened down by sin's penalty. You're burdened down by sin's possession of your life. Jesus has come unto me, he says, I'll give you rest. He says, I'm the only place you can find it. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 34. And then... Really, the sum of it all is in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, for what Luke adds. Then Jesus looked to those who were following him and said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow after me. Paul says, I beseech you, I'm urging you to live a life, to walk out your faith every day in such a way that is worthy of the calling of Christ. 
that, that, that really lives up to the full potential and represents what it is that Jesus Christ has done for you. Uh, it, it's, it's not a great illustration, but it's the best one that I can give to you. I want you to imagine that on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, and there would just be nothing terrible wrong, it's the best you could do, but imagine on Thanksgiving Day, you know, your sister, you, you're in there, you're laboring. Early in the morning, 4 o'clock, you're putting the turkey in the oven. You know, you remembered and you pulled all the guts out of it in that little packet. And you got all that out. And so it's in there, it's basting. And you've worked on pies and you're working on all these things. And it's just, everything's just so great. And you've got everything together. And you, you ask your husband, you said, could you please sit at the table and have everybody get ready? And so, obviously, you've, you've worked so hard. You've got this beautiful meal. It's, it's, it's so exciting. And you turn around, and everyone's at the table, and your husband's set the table, and everybody's in their clothes that they just weeded to the yard in. And they've put cheap paper plates down on the ground to serve this beautiful meal on. Well, friend, that's not worthy of what a great meal that is. And what everybody showed up in is not worthy of the special time and the great meal. Everybody at least could put on a clean bare bridges. And we could have put the nicer plates that we have. If paper's the best we got, then that's the best we got. But what Paul's saying is don't live out a life that is so subpar, it is not worthy of the life that Jesus Christ lived before us and the sacrifice that he made to secure our spiritual freedom. That was Paul's plea. He says, live out Philippians 2, 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. And he goes on to say, listen, that if you are, because you just hear all the people say, well, I am, well, I am. He says, so there's going to be some evidences. This is what the Lord led Paul to share. Because again, friend, godliness is not invisible. Remember in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Remember, that, that wasn't, a, they didn't get together and have a focus group. He says, you know, we need a catch name. We, we need something that represents this movement. That it didn't happen that way. The gospel came to Antioch. The gospel changed the hearts and lives of these individuals. And they began to walk worthy of the change that Christ had made in their life. They began to walk worthy of the calling that the Holy Spirit had called them into the gospel. Now to live on mission. And don't miss this. All the lost people in Antioch, they began to look at all these people and they compared their lives with their lost lives that were marred by flesh and marred by sin. And they said, man, those people are Christ-like. He said, there's something about their life that's different than ours. I'm telling you, friend, listen, godliness is not invisible. People are going to notice it. But Paul bears out some evidences here. Verse 2, he says, if you live this kind of life, if you're walking a life worthy of the calling with which you were called, verse 2, he says it's going to be marked by lowliness. That's humility. And humility is one of those graces that if you ever realize you're humble, you're really not. Well, think about that. It's just something that comes about, friend, by surrendering your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, where it's Jesus first, others second, and you always place yourself dead last. And humility, it just, it just comes about. Paul says your life's going to be marked by, by lowliness. He says, and gentleness. That's meekness. Now listen, my grandmother was meek. But meekness, I learned on a few occasions, meekness is not weakness. Say amen right there. Some of you know. She was meek. Meekness is power under control. It's, it's an ox that's in a yoke 
But there's nothing weak about the ox. It has brought its power under the captivity of others. That's what meekness is. We've brought our lives under the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says your life's going to be marked by humility, by meekness. Continue to look at verse number 2. He says, and, and it's going to be marked by long-suffering. That's patience because he's speaking to a church family. And listen, be honest. Families love each other, but sometimes families drive each other nuts. Say, don't be holy. Say amen. You know it's true. You and your spouse and your kids, you drive each other nuts sometimes. But a family that stays together, friend, it truly does pray. But listen, it's because it's marked by long-suffering. We're, we're in it to win it. We're not going to quit. Our lives are marked by patience that we have with one another. But also, it's marked by bearing with one another in love. That's forbearance. It, it literally, you know, our modern-day speech, it means putting up with one another. We just we continue to love one another. Verse 3, for the purpose of, he says, we want to keep unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I will say something right there. Now, listen to me. A, a lot of churches, and sometimes Christians say, well, we just want unity. And so we know we've got this spiritual terrorist that's in the church, and they're just setting everything on fire, and we're just, we're just praying for unity. I want to remind you, friend, you've got to balance Scripture with Scripture. That's the law of hermeneutics. And so Acts chapter 15 Paul and Barnabas couldn't see eye to eye anymore. And so they didn't just hold hands and keep going off on mission again and say, we disagree, but we've got unity. No, they parted from one another. They, were, they disagreed, but they weren't disagreeable with one another. And so one went one way and one went another because there was contention. And also the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul urged a church that was plagued with problems. He says, you've got a troublemaker in your church that's hindering the work of God. And Paul says, you need, Matthew 18 says, you need to do church discipline. He says, and failure to do church discipline is sin. The only way sometimes to keep unity is to deal with unrepentant church members in Love And remember, church discipline is always for the purpose of, it is not punitive, it is always for the purpose of seeing that person enter in back to right relationship with Jesus Christ if they will respond to the process. So we always want unity, but I want you to listen to me. Never at the cost of biblical compromise. Never, ever, ever. So that's not what Paul was saying. But we, we should desire to have unity. And he, begins, he goes on, he says, because, and so I said, well, well, why? Well, he says, because of verse 4, there's one body. When you trusted Christ, you were born into the family of God. There's one body. And I realize, listen, friend, the reason there are so denominations, listen, just, just work with East Tennessee. I grew up across the mountain the same way, okay, so I'm not picking on East Tennessee. But I'll never forget when Melissa and I first drove over here. It was like, we didn't need mile markers. Every mile is a Baptist church. You know, just here's another, you know, here's no hope number three, no hope number five, split again number seven. There's just Baptist churches everywhere. And majority of the time, sometimes it's for right reasons. But the majority of the time it's because somebody got their nose out of joint and they're just going to take their ball and go start a new group somewhere else. And so that's the reason there's so many denominations and so many groups. But friend, listen, in the eyes of God, there's only one church. It's not Greenwood. It is the body of 
Christ, all those individuals who have repented of sin truly and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. Paul says, why should there be unity? Because there's one body. Look at verse number four. There's one spirit, one Holy Spirit, not multiple. She's just as you were called in one hope of your calling. What's that hope? It's the hope we've got today that Jesus Christ might come today and rapture his church away. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Verse number five, there's one Lord. It's Jesus. One faith. That's the doctrine we have. Jesus says we're to contend for the faith. It's not we're saved by faith. When he's talking about faith here, it's the sum total of doctrine that we believe. He says there's, there's, one, there's one sum total of doctrine. There's, there's one baptism. There's, there's one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. And so what Paul was saying is be unified, live a life, walk out your faith in such a way it's going to be marked by unity. There's going to be spiritual graces upon your life that can only come from surrender to the Holy Spirit. He says, but just follow the leader. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 10 says, for it was fitting for him, Jesus, from whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons of glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And so if, 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 you, if you want to, to live a life of maximum impact, friend, it begins with your walk after you've trusted Christ. And the simplest thing is this. Look at me this morning. Follow the leader. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Where he goes, you go. What he does, you do. What he commands, you surrender to. It's that simple. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You know, and I continue to run into people throughout the week, and I don't like everything I see in the news. They grumble and gripe about, you know, this party and this political leader and that person, and things aren't like they were, and they're not good. And most of the time, those people are right. But friend, I want to remind you, listen to me. The only thing that's going to fix our country, it's not a new president and new Congress. It is our country turning to Jesus Christ. That's it. And God's given the church the mission of sharing the gospel and part in one of the evidences that we live a life that is in line with the life and the mission of Christ is you're going to live on mission daily. You're going to be following Jesus, fishing for men. So Paul says to that church, Live a life worthy of the calling that Christ called, placed upon your life. So there's a prompting plea. Notice this second. If you're going to have a life of maximum impact, if you're going to live up to all the potential that you have in Christ, notice second, the, the, the providing plan. The providing plan. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 7. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so God has called each of us into service, not only, now listen, everybody's been called to live on mission. Now listen, if you heard that, say amen. Everybody, if you've been saved by God's grace, you are responsible to God to live on mission every single day. Looking for opportunities to sow the gospel into the hearts and lives of others and to disciple people, to encourage them in scripture. You're responsible for that. But apart from that, listen, there is a place of service for you in the local church. God 
calls you to serve. And the difference, friend, one of the beginning differences of whether you'll fulfill that is how you, what you come to church on with every Sunday. Now, some of you are dressed up in your uh, political, I mean, your uh, country Fourth of July stuff today, God and country, and you're going red, white, and blue, and I always have to wear, I didn't wear red one time, so I, somebody thought I set a cross on fire or something. It's the Fourth of July, Brother Chad. You don't have anything red on. So I make sure I had red on today. What we're talking about is not, you know, a suit, a tie, a dress, slacks. Two things you're either going to come to church in every Sunday. You ready? You're going to come with a bib on or you're going to come with an apron on. One of the two. And what determines whether you'll serve is what you come to church with on. It's invisible. But you'll know it right here. And God sees it. If you see the churches existing to take care of you and to meet your needs and everything's got to be lined up for you exactly, then you've got a bib on. That's what you show up to church, you know, for the church to just be, open up. And that's what we've got to do. Open up. And then if everything getting right, you know, then you jump out of the high chair and you go somewhere else. That'll burp and take care of you the right way. But when you know that God's led you to the church family you're supposed to be in, you come with an apron on. And it's not about what your wants or what, this is what I want to do or I like to do. No, it's what God's called you to do. And so scripture always says some things some people can do and some things people can't do. And God will never step outside of his word. But God has a calling on the life of every believer to put an apron on and serve within the life of of the church and a grace gift or gifts always goes with that it's a spiritual gift it's supernatural it's not about talent you know just because you know you can whistle the star spangled banner with a mouthful of saltines that's a great talent but that's not a spiritual gift so but i play a mean soup spoon you know and you can sit up here and keep time that's that may be a great talent but that's not a spiritual gift spiritual gift, friend, is a supernatural gifting of God that in spite of your lacking, God works through you to accomplish his mission and what he's called you to do. And it's a grace gift, and every believer gets at least one. Look at verse 7. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I'm not going to dive deep into verses 8 through 10. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm just going to say this time last year as we preached through the book of 1 Peter, we looked at 1 Peter 3, 19. You can go back on the website. You, I'm not ducking these verses. It just takes a while to explain what Christ did on the cross, how when in, in Luke 23, 43, when he looked to one thief, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke 16 talks about paradise, the division that was in paradise, that Christ led captivity captive. Go back one year and listen to all that. I'm just saying, but Paul references that. It's scriptures that go along with 1 Peter 3, 19 and Luke 16. But verse number 11 says, verse 10 says, And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. Verse 11, And he himself, this is Jesus, gave some within the church to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping of saints. These are callings, but also spiritual gifts that God gave to people within the life of the church. And 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12 also deal with other spiritual gifts. 
We have spent a lot of time in discipleship, and we will again here soon in the next month. Within the next month, as the Lord leads, we'll go through spiritual gifts on Sunday night to help explain those. And, and we've, got, we've got a spiritual gift inventory test based on Scripture that can help you discover what your spiritual gift is, the gift that God has given you supernaturally by grace. It's unmerited to help you accomplish what it is that he's called you to do to live up to and to discover and fulfill your, your maximum spiritual impact. And so all are to live on mission, but, but you have a function within the life of the church. And three words are going to mark your spiritual gift. Look up here at me. Number one, you're going to have to discover it. You're going to have to discover it. You're not going to get a letter in the mail. This, this right here, this little test can help you discover, but it's through prayer and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, looking at biblical definitions of those God really begins to reveal to you what your spiritual gift is. And there'll be other believers that'll come along beside you and say, well, we've seen it for years. We knew it. That's not a surprise to me. They'll see it and they'll know it. But you've got to discover it. You can't use what you don't have. Now, I heard about a, a woman who had passed away and they were cleaning out her house. And can I just give you encouragement? Listen, if, you've got, if your basement, attic, are full of junk, would you clean it out and don't leave it to your kids to have to do it one day? All right? They'll thank you in heaven when they see you. But anyway, this dear lady had passed away, and her children went in the attic, and they, they, they found all of these boxes that were just taped completely shut. And they began to open them and began to look. There was all this china that this woman had been given over her whole life. And it had never been opened and used. It had sat in her attic all these years, taped up. And that's the way lost spiritual gifts are in the hearts and lives of believers. When you trusted Christ, you were given a spiritual gift. But there's the tragedy of an unopened gift. You've never discovered what your spiritual gift is. The church view is I just show up, I'm in need, I leave. You're not living up to your potential. You're not allowing Christ to work through you in the life of the church, and you don't know what your spiritual gift is, so you've got to discover it. But then number two, you, you've got to not only discover it, but, but you also have to develop it. You've got to take it and begin to grow in it. You know, 20 years ago, I discovered what my spiritual gift was, and it's teaching and preaching. And I'm going to tell you, friend, listen, I am a back row Baptist by nature. Always have been. I want to blend in. I want to sit on the back row. I'm not... And when I go to the barbershop, I'm like, well, good morning, brethren. How are you today? Good to praise God. It's not me. I just ease in, sit there, and ease out. Ease into the grocery store, ease out. When we go to eat out, which hasn't been a couple years, we'll probably go in the next five. But when, when we eat out, we get in the back. I get against the wall. Just, I just want to blend in. But it's the calling God placed on my life and the spiritual gifting he gave me to help accomplish what he called me to do and he's given you a gift and he's given he's given you a calling but you've got to discover it and then you've got to develop it and i'm not the same preacher that i was 20 years ago and you say oh, man you must have been really bad 20 years ago i was i'm the first message i ever preached friend you'd have thought it was a bible drill i haven't done it. now turn over here now turn over here i didn't have a clue what i was doing but god went to work in me and on me. I made myself available. And I've still got tons to grow. And thank God he's, he's going to keep working on me. And you keep praying for me. And I'll, I'll try to be a better preacher in the days ahead. But I want to develop my spiritual gift. And you need to develop yours. Discover it. Develop it. And then third thing, you've got to deploy it. 
you got to put it to work. you got to put it to work. You can't just sit on it and keep it in your pocket and keep it in your heart. And there's so many, and if there's not a ministry to do it, God may have been waiting on you to discover yours, develop it so that we can start a ministry based around your spiritual gift. But we still need help in the nursery on Sunday morning. Awana's going to start back up here soon. We didn't have any kids when we started children's ministry back, but to God's glory, we have 11 Wednesday night. You can help with that. Stacy can always use help with it. There could be a great mentoring ministry in this church to help disciple young people, just to come alongside what parents and lay leaders in the church are already doing, just to encourage them in their walk in Jesus Christ. There's so many things that we can do. But we're limited if people won't make themselves available. There's a providing plan. But third, I want you to notice a prescribed purpose. What's, What's the purpose of deploying you know, why use the spiritual gift? Everybody's together, walking, living a life worthy of the calling. There's those evidences that we're walking with Christ. He's growing us. There's spiritual fruit. There's, there's, there's evidence that Jesus is Lord of our life. He's given us a spiritual gift. We're, we've discovered it. We're developing it. We're, we're, that never stops. We're deploying it. We're putting it into action. That never stops. Dear seniors whom I love, you never retire from service in the life of the church? Somebody say amen. You're going to be held accountable. You can't stand the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, you know, you did really good up to the age of 65. But, you know, you just stayed on vacation every other week after that. You burnt the roads up. These are the, these are the best years you've got to serve Jesus. Say amen. They are. These are the best years you have. So don't retire. Refire. Let your last days be your best days. Well, what's the prescribed purpose? Well, the benefit of the gift is for the body. Look at verse number 12. You see, he's gifted and he's called people for, look at verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He says the, the benefit of the spiritual gift is not for you. It's for everybody else in the church. Your spiritual gift doesn't benefit you. It benefits everyone else. And everyone, listen, look at me. Everyone else's spiritual gift benefits me. My gift benefits you. Your gift benefits me. It's, it's, for, it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. When everyone in the church can you think about this? Can you imagine if every member of Greenwood Baptist Church knew their spiritual gift, knew their calling, and faithfully knees and elbows did it every week? Can you imagine what the church would be like, how even much better it would be? Think about that. Where can I serve? What can I do? What can Christ do through me as I make my spiritual gift available? Think about that. It's, it's why? It's for the equipping of the saints. It, it, it equips all the other believers in the church for the work of ministry. The more you serve, the more you make yourself available, the more somebody else is built up in the faith as they respond to those ministries. For the edifying of the body of Christ, that word edify means to build up, to strengthen, for, for the building up of the church, to, verse 12, to equip, to edify, to give us those things that we need. Verse 13, till, until the day, so we're to keep serving, we're to keep growing, 
Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Man to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When is that going to be? Not until we stand in Christ's presence. So what is that saying? Look at me. Ministry never stops. It's just another day and a fresh opportunity to live on mission, reaching, teaching, and encouraging. That's, that's, the, that's the prescribed purpose of the gift that you have. It's to help equip and edify, build up the church until we all reach that, that, that place of maturity, and it'll never really happen. We just keep growing every day. And so as we use our gifts and we grow in the Lord through the Bible teaching ministries of the local church, now listen, and our own time in God's Word, and through our own prayer life. How many of you are looking forward to eating lunch and not eating again until next Sunday? Say amen. Nobody. You're going to eat tonight. You're going to eat tomorrow morning. Should the Lord give us another day, you're going to eat at lunch. You're going to eat again. Some of you are going to wake up because you can't sleep. You're going to eat something in the middle of the night. Does it make any sense at all just to eat a big lunch and not eat till next week? Anybody? That makes sense? How foolish is it just to eat spiritually one time a week? There's a benefit to come to church and being fed spiritually and growing through those ministries. But friend, it, that is just to supplement what you're doing alone with God every day and your time alone in God's study of God's Word and through the ministry of prayer, the walk that you have with the Lord. Personal study and prayer life. We, as we do all that, we move toward the goal, verse 13, of coming to the unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of Man, to be the perfect man or woman. And Christ is the measure. He's the measure. You say, I think I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm as good as, I hear this all the time. Well, I'm as good as old so-and-so. Friend, I want to remind you, old so-and-so isn't the standard Jesus is. Put your life next to him and see where you stand. There's always room to grow. And again, the purpose of verse number 14, that we should no longer be tossed, children tossed to and fro, carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. For Paul, it was Judaism. Listen, there were, there were false teachers outside the church that were trying to lead them away from truth. And Paul says, you need to grow in the knowledge of Scripture. He says, when everybody within the life of the church knows their calling, uses their spiritual gift, and people respond to those ministries, the church grows and develops in their spiritual understanding. And then when some jackleg comes along and says, hey, I think, that, you know, this is what God really meant, and you begin to lay that along Scripture and say, well, I can tell you that's not what it meant, because the Bible says right here that what you're saying is wrong. And so I'm not going to be blown away sideways. I'm not going to get called out of service. There's not going to be wasted days because you're grounded in truth. You're no longer being tossed to and fro. You're, you're stable because of doctrine that you've grown in. Verse number 15. And the whole church, as we use our spiritual gifts, we just continue to speak the truth in love, the Word of God. Not hatefulness. But just speaking the word of God, friend, as it is in love. It's not personal. We just speak, listen, like a male person just comes and puts mail in the box, we just share truth with a smile on our face every day. We speak the truth in love. That may, all people may grow up in all things in him who is the head of Christ. And, and look at what a beautiful picture is. It's the whole church is walking worthy 
There's, there's evidence of lordship. We know what our calling is. We know what our spiritual gift is. We've discovered it. We're developing it. We're deploying it. When that happens, the whole body, the body of Christ, the whole body, look at verse 16, is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Friend, listen, when you get a body part that stops working, it gets gangrene. And when it does, they got to cut it off and get rid of it because it poisons the body. And I'm telling you, listen to me this morning, look at me. Church members that won't fulfill their calling, just as, listen, when your gizzard won't fulfill its calling that God gave it, they got to cut your gizzard out and get it gone. And when you don't fulfill your calling and you're equipping the body of Christ, you poison the body of Christ. Somebody, some other body part's got to do that work to make up for it. And then it can't function the way it needs to. And so if you written, so what Paul's saying was, you, you need to stop and pause and realize, Jesus went to hell and back, died on the cross, so that, so that you could have spiritual freedom, that you could have a new life. And Paul says, I'm writing that you might live up to your maximum potential in Jesus Christ. And so questions to ask this morning, you know, are this, am I really, as a, as a believer, as someone who's truly repentant and trusted Christ, am, am I walking worthy of that? As Jesus looks at the sum total of my life, is it worthy of the price that he paid, the agony and shame that he endured to give me freedom? I'm going to ask you a second question. Look at me. Look up here at me. We're going, we're going to imitation here in just a second. As a child of God, look at me. And don't be embarrassed if you don't, because we're here to help. That's what discipleship's all about. It's a new day in Jesus Christ. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Or gifts. Do you know? And if you don't, friend, listen, we can help you with that. We can help you. We'll look to Scripture and we'll pray. We'll do this spiritual inventory test that's based on Scripture. We'll help you find out. But you have to want to know. You've got to be the one that wants to discover and open the gift and find out what God's given you. Are you developing? So I know, are you developing it every day? Through the study of Scripture, yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit, are you honing and developing your use of those spiritual gifts every day? And here's the big one. Look at me. Are you deploying it? Are you putting it to work within the life of the church? If the answer was, I don't know or no to any of those, it's a brand new day in Jesus Christ. Listen, friend, whom the Son is set free, he's free indeed. It's a new day. And so make yourself available today and say, Lord, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And God, I've, I've got some things in my life that I'm, I'm ashamed of. If you saw, you know the way I'm walking. If you came back today, God, I'd be embarrassed by what you see. And God, I know what my spiritual gift is, but I've quit using it. I bought into the retirement. You retire, well, I did my time. It's time for the young people to step up. I bought into that lie of the devil. No more. God, I'm going to make myself available and I'm going to start serving today because I want to experience every bit of spiritual potential that you saved me and you've equipped me to experience. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Is that your prayer this morning? You know you're lacking. You haven't discovered it or you're not using it. Let's leave with a fresh commitment today. Pray just like this. 
Dear Jesus, thank you for the day you saved me and set me free. If it fits, you mean it from your heart. But God, I'm not walking the way I need to. There's areas of my life I'm embarrassed by. God, forgive me. I want to resubmit my life to your lordship today. This may be your prayer. Father, I don't even know what my spiritual gift is, but God, I want to discover it. I'm so thankful you saved me. God, I want my life to count. I want my life to count. I want there to be maximum kingdom impact. So would you help me to discover my spiritual gift? God, would you help me to develop it? Learn how to use it appropriately according to your word. And then God, wear me out with service. I want to deploy it. I want to use it. Whether it's in Awana, whether it's serving on the security ministry, which every Sunday and Wednesday helps keep this church family safe, being a nursery worker, God, maybe to start a prayer ministry that prays during services. God, whatever it is, there's, there's a ministry you want to start. And the spiritual gift you've given me can help fulfill that. God, I make myself available to it today. In the words of Isaiah chapter 6, here am I, send me, Lord. That's my prayer. Now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Friend, look, if you've never trusted Christ, you can't begin to serve him. You must be born.